You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Brandon for doing that, filling in for Emily while she's gone this week. I would tell you where she is, but I don't remember what she told me. <laughs> well, something very important, though. That's all I can tell you. It was really, really important. So she, she wouldn't have missed otherwise. Um, and I appreciate you guys filling in. They came all the way from the other side of Cookville there up near Livingston, on, on the way to Livingston there. Um, we're still in Second Peter. I'm glad you're here. I, we had a good, I did think that was a good thing, like we were we talked about last week, even made mention of how, how important it is, I think, now we do have community events, we get to know one another and things like that. That was a really good opportunity for us to serve one another. Before we begin, let's start with prayer and, and uh, let's just make sure our hearts are right before God. If you've got some kind, of, some kind of thing that you're holding on to, sin you've got going on, you know it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's get that cleansed up so that we can hear the word well, it can sink down into our hearts and develop us. Father, this morning in the name of Jesus, we come before you and ask for your mercy upon us as we read your word, study your word to show ourselves approved unto you. We thank you for your goodness to us and your love for us, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning and great is thy faithfulness. We give you this morning, Lord, we commend it to you. I pray that the word that is spoken is the word you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, baby. Thank you. Did the kids escape already? Or, or did Terry leave? Okay, I see some. They, they, Terry does have a message for them if you want them to go to that. Um, it's up to you. Um, sorry, should have been more clear there. Last week's message was timely for a lot of people. A number of people came up to me afterwards and said, man, I really am struggling with that assurance of salvation thing. And I will tell you that a thing that you can kind of hold on to as assurance of salvation goes is just a person's desire for it. That person's, us individuals, um, kind of, it's unfounded worry, but it's worry nonetheless. But that, that only comes because you have a heart that desires to be close to God. And so when you're, you're missing something there, something's not tracking right, you're like, man, I, I wonder if I'm even saved. And that's the wrong question to ask. And we can go back there to 1 John. We're going to read a little piece out of 1 John today. But when we go to 1 John and we really focus on that chapter 5, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. If you have the Son of God, if you have Jesus Christ as your Messiah, you have eternal life. Uh, somebody asked me this morning, was King Saul, did King Saul go to heaven? I wasn't there. I'm not there now. But I can tell you that Samuel told him, today you'll be where I am. And I don't believe that Samuel was in hell. And here's another one, the prodigal son. If the prodigal son's in the pig pen with the pigs and he dies before he makes it back to his father, does he die as a pig or does he die as a son? He's never less than a son. He may be covered with mire and, and everything else that pigs got going on in there, but it didn't make him less of a son. If you're a son, if you're known by God, if he knows you and you know him, regardless of distance that you have in the moment, if your desire is closest with him, he will in no wise cast out. And it's a thing that we need to grasp onto and hold onto. I'm telling you, the days are going to get ugly. They're going to keep getting uglier. And you're going to need to have faith that's stable 
enduring. And the only way you can do that, the best way, is there more than one way? Maybe. But the primary way is to have God's Word hidden in your heart that you may not sin against Him. To have His Word, to hear good preaching, to be filled with the Spirit, to be listening for His voice, to be listening to Christian music over worldly music, to be watching Christian things over worldly things, to have a desire to know Him and the power of His resurrection, to have those things You'll have less fear of losing your salvation and your, your greatest concern will, might be where am I going to get my next meal? And even in that, we can go back to the Word and He says, I'll provide your every need according to His riches and glory. He's got all the stuff to provide all those things if we will but depend upon Him. When we're trying to do all this over here in our own strength and our own self and then we're going to try to hold on to God in this particular manner in just a, in just, in just a way, just a fingernail clipped to His belt or something, it's not going to be enough. Draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh unto you. Get close to Him, He'll get close to you. And these fears will be considerably lessened. If we could lose our salvation, we would. Man, I can't keep track of the extra keys. I lost a set of keys to my white truck for two years. <laughs> Seriously, you think I'm joking? And there's like $800. It's like the little computer key where it doesn't have an actual key now. It was $800 for another key. I just started digging around. I can't keep track of my own keys. You think I'm going to be able to keep track of something ephemeral or supernatural like my salvation? No way. It's up to him. He's the one that does the saving. He's the one that does the keeping. If He says, no one can snatch you out of my hand, Jesus says. You're in his hand. You're in there. No one, my Father who's greater than I, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. He's got the double hand monkey grip on you. You're not coming out of there. You're okay. You're safe and secure in there, in Christ. And you need to cling to that. And I think that even asking that question of yourself, am I really saved, that demonstrates a desire to be saved. It demonstrates a desire to have closeness with Christ. If you didn't care, you wouldn't be concerned. And even in that, these, this is what we're reading here in Second Peter, it's so good, is that I wrote these things down to remind you so that you could remember to remember to remember. I wrote them down because hard times are going to come. Pressures are going to come. Negative things are going to happen. Deaths are going to come. Sickness is going to come. Um, my, my friend Marcus, he, he's like, man, I had a car. I had a camper. My camper caught on fire, and I lost my place to live. And then my, my car wouldn't run. He was sleeping in his truck, and then his truck wouldn't run, and so he ended up having to sell his truck, and he's living in the woods. He's not on drugs. He's not mentally ill. But hard times have come. But you know what he said? I got faith in God. He's taken me this far. He's provided all my needs. He provided you today <coughs> I'm sorry, <coughs> to show up and, and help me today. His complete reliance upon God will carry over the things that he doesn't have. And that's here in the United States. Not, it's not in South America or in some communist country. That's here. The same will apply for those that are in South America or in Russia or communist China. God will provide according your every need according to his riches. He does the provision. He does the holding. He does the maintaining. He does the keeping, the guarding, the caretaking, the shepherding. In that psalm, I really liked it in the King James where it said, one said, he will shepherd his flock. And in the King James, it said, he will feed his flock. He's not going to let you starve. And if you starve, you're going to die and be with him anyway. And you probably need to lose some weight anyhow. 
So it's okay. <laughs> strong perked up. He's like, he's talking about me. I'm not talking about you, Strong. I'm telling you. It's where we're at. The fears that we have are unfounded. If we put our faith and trust in Christ, he will do the keeping. He will do the holding. And it's, it's kind of discouraging um, that we struggle with that, but you're not alone. It's a worldwide struggle. It's one of the first things you go to South America or wherever you go, Africa, or wherever. it's one of the first things they ask, how can I know that I'm saved? Oh, we can go read First John. That's how you can know. You can know. Do you have the Son? Yes, you're saved. If you don't have the Son, you're out. If you have the Son, you have everything. So, I'm, I'm, it's, it's hard for us to to grasp these things that are supernatural, that are spiritual in nature, particularly if we're not feeding our spirit with, those, with that spiritual food. If we're not feeding ourselves with spiritual food, you're going to be starving in your spirit. You're going to struggle with these questions. If you're feeding yourself with the spiritual food, you're going to do well. You're going to be okay in hard times. Let's read that in 2 Peter, starting in verse 12 through 21. 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 12. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, two reminders already, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The last will and testament of Peter written out right here, we talked about that before, is like so many other people's last words. It's the most important, to them anyway, uh, the most important thing that they'll ever say. And I, I saw a little thing where a guy had written out, his grandfather was unable to speak, he had a tube down his throat, and, he was, and his last words were to his grandson, he said, do good, son, grandpa. That's a pretty good last word. And so the son kept the, the note. It's very important to him. The last words of my Grandpa Don that he wrote, he wrote out this long, pretty long paper, and it was real scribbly, and he was dying of, of lung cancer and emphysema. If you smoke, please, God, stop smoking. Man, you see what it does to people, and you see it eats their lungs up, and you see them suffer like that. Please stop. However, as he died... Um, he wrote this long thing out, and he said, and I can't remember exactly how it goes. My mom has a copy. I always wanted a copy of it, but, and it, but I just remember, you know, these are my last breaths, my last days, and then he, he ended up with hallelujah. I mean, his, the attitude was right. Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to die. He died a very painful death, very painful death. Struggled to breathe for quite a while there. Um, really struggled with, with skin cancer and things like that. He had some terrible health problems, but his hope was eternal, and it was based on something higher than I'm going to be thrown in the ground, they're going to throw dirt on my face. It was much higher hope than that. His hope was eternal, and he, he wanted us to know that it was going to be okay. 
I'm going to go there. I'll be waiting on you. Hurry up. Get here as fast as you can. It was just good. Those last words are so important. So in this moment, Peter knows that he's not going to be resurrected. He's not going to be, um, sorry, he's not going to be going in the second coming of Christ. He knew that. Christ had already told him that. You're going to go places you don't want to go with shackles on your hands and someone else's belt around your waist. They're going to take you and they're going to kill you. You're not going to go in the, in the rapture. You're going to die. He knew that. And knowing that, it doesn't necessarily demonstrate fear here in this verse. He just says, I'm about to die. Verse 14, shortly I must put off my tent. He's about to fold up his tent. And I just wanted to give you these things, verse 15, I wanted to be careful to ensure that these things, you, you always have a reminder of these things after my decease, after my death. I'm fixing to die. Remember these things. Then he, he has already told us the things that he wanted you to remember, and then he's going to tell us some more things. He already told us about what we learned over there about building those things, you know, from add to your reason with diligence, faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and so on, godliness, brotherly kindness, and chast charity, love. I want you to remember all those things. I want these fruits to be in you and to abound, not just to be yours in a small proportion, but to have a lot of it and for it to overflow out of you onto other people and for it to be developed in you in the fellowship. I want you to put aside the old man, walk in the new man, forgetting the old things like uh, don't fall back in the old way where you get confused by your sinfulness and so on. And then he says, and then this an entrance is going to be supplied to you in heaven where you'll be able to just walk right through the front door if you have these things and abound and you have Christ and so on. And he's, he's writing all that and he says, I want you to remember all these things. And so for Peter, this one of the things that he can speak so adamantly about because he can is because he was there. He saw these things. He saw Christ in the flesh. That's very important. So he could assure them, since he had witnessed the Messiah himself, he could assure them that what he's telling them is the truth. I was there. I saw him. I did these things with him. I witnessed these things personally. Um, Yeshua Hamashiach was in fact a very only begotten son of the Father. And I met him in person and I touched him. And I was with him and I ate food with him both before and after his death. I know that he is alive. I saw him ascended into heaven. I know for a fact he sits at the right hand of the Father today. I know him. And I want you to know him. And I want you to be assured of these things. He was that way. In fact, I even heard the Father testify of these things of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to look at that this morning. But I want you to go to 1 John 1. 1 John, along with, uh, uh, well, John, not 1 John, uh, but John himself was worth Peter, Peter, James, and John, were on the Mount of Transfiguration together. And the way 1 John starts is a kind of a similar testimony to what first, uh, Second Peter said there. Are you there, 1 John? Just a couple pages later. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Excuse me. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. 
And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. John was there. Peter was there. James was there. Where was there? Go to Matthew chapter 17. Jesus is doing his work on earth. And there comes a time where it's starting to, to wind down. It's actually, I guess it's really winding up. If you read the Bible real carefully and you look at the Old Testament compared to the New Testament, you'll see a lot of supernatural things that happen in the Gospels as far as demonic things or supernatural healings and things like that, where they're kind of spread out in the Old Testament. You know, one, one book here, you know, it says that, that Saul, you know, is Saul with the prophets? Is he one of the prophets now because he was prophesying in tongues or something with the prophets? So they see this miraculous thing that's out of the norm, but we don't see anything else for a while. And then Saul later on has this vision of Samuel. And, and, but they're kind of hit and miss, you know, throughout there. But when we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's like they just one after another. He's healing people, raising people from the dead, changing water into wine, uh, you know, bread, the loaves and fishes, feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000, walking on water, um, casting out demons again, casting out demons again. It just all through, it's like there's a supernatural overload that's going on right then. And what I believe is really going on is Satan realizes that his, his days are numbered and that this is where it all gets concluded. And so he like, whatever the demonic realm was doing at that time, maybe it's more sedate in our time where we don't seem to see those things or maybe our eyes are just closed to them and we're not aware of what's going on. But in that particular time, Jesus is dealing with it He's dealing with oppression from demonic spirits. He's dealing with, with casting them out, pushing them away. I really believe that one of the things he was doing when he cast the, uh, out of the demoniac, the legion out of the demoniac into the swine, he was purifying the land. He was purifying the land of the swine and of the demons. He was purifying an area so that his message could go forth there through the once demoniac guy. Remember the guy in the graveyard? Everybody know what we're talking about? Okay, so the... the when he's doing that, he's, his work is much greater. We see him as like this, this nice man walking around doing these things that seem, they're miraculous, but they're so, in general, gentle that we, as the way we perceive them, they're so gentle that we, we don't see the power of what he was doing. But he purified the land in an instant. And what did the people want after he purified the land? They didn't want that. They wanted him to leave because they wanted the land filthy. They wanted it with swine, and I guess they wanted it with demons. And so what does he do? He leaves. But what he does also is he leaves a messenger there. But, so by the time we get to Matthew 17, things are really spiraling into the crescendo of what it's going to be the, the end of days when he's going to go to the cross. And before he goes to the cross, he has to prove beyond a doubt to these witnesses, and these witnesses have all written books, right? John and Peter have written books after the fact of what they saw on that day. In fact, he tells them on this day, let's read it, that they're not to pass on what they saw. Start at chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. 
And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, behold, a bright light overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Just a point here. Jesus doesn't fall on his face in fear. He recognizes the Father's voice. He's like, what are you guys afraid of? That's the Father. That's, that's how he sounds. We haven't heard him before. It's very scary. When they had lifted up their eyes and saw no one but Jesus only, now they came down from the mountain. Jesus commanded them, tell, them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he spoke of them to them of John the Baptist. Okay, so he, Peter was here. John was here. These things that I'm telling you, that I'm reminding you of, you can find that again in Luke if you want to do some study on that. Luke chapter 9, that's uh, in Mark as well. And you can, you can discover different, different facts there. But Mar the fact that Mark and Peter were there, we're going back to Second Peter, I believe. Um, they can testify of things that other people that were not there could not testify of. The things that they saw, that they were relating to the churches, that they're relating to us today, they saw themselves. They touched themselves. They experienced themselves. They were terrified themselves. They truly had personally been with the Messiah. They had been through his earthly mission, through his ascension. They had eaten with him, shaken his hand, hugged him, heard his parables, watched him do these miraculous things. They had done all those things. And these things were so true that they were willing to die for these things. I want you to think about that. Be, they were willing to die because of the knowledge that they had. They were willing to share of the things that they knew to be true. Uh, what is there any earthly thing that you've ever been a part of that you're willing to give your life for? Is it one, huh? Your family, maybe. It depends how nice they were to you. What your Christmas presents were like, you know. But uh, one time when when I was a kid, my dad had a driving range in Houston, and Bob Hope showed up. And I was pretty young, say, first, second grade, third grade maybe. I got to shake his hand, meet him. And, um, and then he came and, and played golf there a couple times. And, um, but if a policeman at the time had took me aside and said, if you ever tell anyone that you met Bob Hope, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to do this and that, and, uh, and I'm going to embarrass you in front of everyone, I'd have been like, hey, Bob Hope ain't none to me. He's never done anything for me. I shook his hand. I mean, is my life worth his hand? He never did anything positive for me. It never made me any money. It didn't make my house better or my life better or improve my standing among... I mean, half you people don't even know who Bob Hope is. And he was the stuff 40 to 70 years ago. He was on everything. Very wealthy, great entertainer, and it, uh, uh, you know, really supported the troops and that kind of thing. 
But nothing that he has done has any effect on anything today. But that's not so with Christ, right? These people, the apostles, were willing to give everything to testify that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, that he truly lived, that they had touched him and knew him personally in the truest sense. They really had, and they were willing to die in response to what he had done. And no other man has ever been alive that, I mean, people will die for a general, people will die for a king, people will die for a president, but in general, people don't give their lives because of the testimony of the general. They give their lives for the general because they believe in the ideals that the general pervades or whatever, whatever he puts out there, whatever he's leading in is because of his authority or something. But because of Christ, they were willing to die. They had witnessed his death on the cross and they had witnessed his rising again. Therefore, they had no fear of death. If you know you're going to rise again, you have no fear of death, right? We have a fear of going through the door of death because we've never been through the door before. We don't know what it looks like on the other side. We have fear there but death itself, he says, you're going to rise again. You're going to get a new body. There's going to be no more sorrow, no more pain. There's going to be all these positives. You'll dwell in my house, the house that I made for you. It's going to be better, streets of gold and all those things. But the understanding that we have of what heaven is, a lot of times because we haven't studied God's word enough, it's not enough for us to say I'm willing to die for this message of eternal life. Because we don't have an understanding of what eternal life is and what's provided. We also don't have an understanding about what eternal death is and what hell is. We can hear about it. It sounds bad where the worm never dies and the fiery pit and all these things. We don't want to be there, so we choose heaven. Or we wouldn't be here this morning most likely. But what we don't have this understanding of is what God did. And so these people seeing Christ firsthand do these things, they're like, Okay, I'll die for that. That's no big deal at all because I'm going to be raised again on the second day, on the next day. I mean, buried, uh, absent from the body is present with the Lord. It's not absent was the body. My mother-in-law said one time, she goes, oh, I can't imagine being buried in the cold, cold ground. Well, you don't have to. You won't be. You won't be there. Your carcass will be there, but you, what makes you, you won't be there. Your spirit won't be there. Your soul won't be there. So don't worry about it. Don't fear what they can do to the body. Fear what they can do to the spirit. Christ has power over your spirit. Christ has power over your soul. Worry about that. Where does that go? And then you won't have to worry about going through the gateway from life into death. So then again in 2 Peter where it says in 12, For this reason I'll not be negligent to remind you always of these things. I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to tell you again. Everything's going to be great. Do whatever you have to do, endure what you have to do. Do these things uh, there in 5, 6, and 7 um, and, and make sure that they abound in you. Make sure that you possess them and that they abound in you. You won't have to worry about any of this stuff. Whatever happens to you, it won't be that big a deal. Verse 13, yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. I'm going to remind you. I think a large part of church when we come to church services, I've thought about this a lot in pastoring, but I, I come sometimes, you know, you know, everybody reaches a point where like, man, it seems like I told them this before. But that's the point. That's why we come here, to remind one another of the hope that we have within us. We've got to go out there all week and get dogged about how, what foolishness the gospel is. But then we can come in here and remind one another, man, one of these days, 
I'm going to die, and I'm going to be on the other side. I don't want to deal with this anymore. That's good. That's going to be a good day. Verse 15, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things. Always. How do we always have a reminder of these things? Well, it's written in the book. We have the book. Peter's willing to give his life that others may know of the things that he personally experienced, and it's very important. 16 again. This is, this is the point, is verse 16. We didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it ourselves. He received from God the Father honor and glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom am I well pleased? Hear him. And like I said, Jesus didn't cower. He just stood there. Everybody else was like, oh. They're not used to the voice. But Jesus has no fear of his Father. If we're saved, we should have no fear of the Father. If we're unsaved, we should be desperately afraid of the Father and his wrath. And then it says in verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory. God gave his glory to Christ when such a voice came to him, this is my beloved son. And we heard this voice which came from heaven uh, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. It's guaranteed. Peter's saying, I'm not just making this stuff up. It's not my imagination. It says, verse 20, uh, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That, that word means uh, uh, it's not made up by man. This is from God. We saw the things that the Old Testament told us would happen in Isaiah and Psalm 22 and other places where it talked about the Messiah, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53, where it talked about the coming Messiah and what he would look like and be born of a virgin and that he would experience these things and even his father would turn his back on him and it pleased the father to, to uh, strike him and all these things. And when they saw it, and now here we are after the cross, so Peter's writing about what he completely experienced back here, and he knows it to be true, and he's telling you. We read this book like he's telling these old-timers. He's telling you these things I wrote down so you'd have a reminder of what I saw. Um, I'm not making it up. And then and Peter's saying, like, you know, one of these days they're going to write a book, like maybe Matthew will or something. And by the way, I don't look so good in it, but don't believe all that stuff. But he's going to write this book, and he's going to tell you about all these things I'm telling you about. I was there. I can testify that these things are true. Because they saw the transfiguration, because they were a part of the Last Supper, because they were at the tomb, because they ate the fish by the shore, because there was a Messiah that they saw ascended to the Father, they know for a fact that all these things are true. And I know you're like, well, you're beating a dead horse here. But I think it's the part that we forget in this assurance thing. We can trust what the Bible says is true. Um, a young person was arguing, I don't know if you ever heard of Frank Turek, but he does apologetics, kind of, um, he, does, he does real good. He goes to a lot of college campuses. And they always ask the same questions. If you, watch, if you watched an hour of it, you could answer about any question apologetically like he does because everybody asks the same question. How do we know that the Bible is true? It was written by men. Um, it was edited by men. Men could add words, take away words, and stuff like that. I mean, how do we know the witnesses were true? And um, you can't verify the witnesses because we can't, we can't talk to them. You know, and we got that scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 witnesses, you know, 
how do we know if that's the case, those same people would testify that this or that is true because somebody told them, but when they hear it of the Bible, they say, well, it's not true. We can't verify the witnesses. The witnesses are verified. They were there. Other books outside the Bible, many books outside the Bible, have written testifying about these things. We have time itself, the way we measure time, right now it's 2023, what's the last letters? A.D. A.D., after death. And what happened before death? <laughs> that was the B.C. Yeah. I mean, we're measuring time for it, for crying out loud. Something happened. The fact that the moon and the stars and the sun are still in the sky is a testimony that God created. The fact that there's a creation is the fact that there's a God. Somebody has to create. Designers design. If there's a building, then there has to be a builder. If there's a watcher, there has to be a watchmaker. If there's a creation, there has to be a creator. Somebody made it. Somebody made you. Somebody created your DNA that speaks to your whole body. He, somebody did it. We know these things. We know because of the message that men give, we can look at fallen men and see that there is a God and there's truth in that. I was listening to Cameron Sexton was on the radio there. We were driving to Nashville. And Cameron Sexton, would you turn my microphone down just a tiny bit? Um, Cameron Sexton was on the radio and he was talking about the number one priority, he said, in this next legislative session that's coming up is what to do with the problem of Memphis. 7,400 juvenile crimes um, that were considered uh, felony, assault, rape, murder, um, robbery, felonies. 7,400 in the previous year juveniles, so under 18. It's out of control. They're like wild animals. They're grabbing people, getting out of their cars. They grabbed a woman, and I don't know if you saw that, and then grabbed her by her purse, and they started dragging her across the parking lot. And while the one guy's dragging her, they just jumped out of the car. One guy's dragging her, and then the other guy's going through the lady's pockets on her clothes while they're dragging her through the parking lot. Nobody comes to help. That's a huge problem. It's in Memphis, Tennessee. It's in Tennessee. He said it's maybe the number one problem that they need to deal with at Nashville is trying to get a handle on what can we do to get better policing or control over that. The problem is man. Man is a wild, uncontrolled animal without the moral code that comes when he writes over the, the, the law written on his heart, when he writes on top of that, when he gets hardness of heart, scar tissue of his soul and his spirit on his heart. When he gets that, he can't hear the voice of God. He's like an animal. And he's going to act like an animal. That's what animals do. A mean dog jumps out of the bushes and he bites you. That's what he does. He's a mean dog. He goes to hell. That's a bad dog. A good dog comes and licks your hand. He gets to go to heaven. <laughs> I don't know that about dogs. Just trying to give you some hope if you're a pet lover. But mean people, mean people, it's not, you're, you're as mean as they are. You're as capable of the same level of evil as those two guys that jumped the lady and drug around the parking lot by her. You're capable of that. It's in you. Without Christ, you're an animal. But with Christ, you're a new man. You're a new creation. The old man has passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're not that person anymore because the Spirit indwells you. And with the indwelling spirit, you have no desire to drag anyone around the parking lot. I don't got the energy myself to rob anybody. It would take too much effort. But I, we're not doing that anymore. We don't do It's not who we are. I, no, I'm not going to stop. So 
By the continuation of creation, we can testify there's a creator. By the wickedness of men, we can testify that there is a God, that there is good, that there is evil, that we need a savior, that we need something to modify us from being animals into being what? Usable. I was going to say human, but the human side of us is terrible. Anyway, I've come to believe, though, this is what I believe, of what I've seen and what I would testify of in our day, is I really believe that one of the issues in our culture today is that we've seen so much lying that we don't believe anything is true. It's a real problem. If this was, if it's probably one of the devil's smoothest moves he ever pulled was by the use of the media, you know, fake science, just fake press, uh, false teaching, um, blaspheming the name of God and his power, evolutionary teaching and all these things. All these things are swirling around in people's minds and they can no longer discern the truth. And so when we bring God's word to them and say, here's a better way. Messiah came to die for you, to save you from your sins. Well, I'm a good person. What makes you a good person? Well, I never killed anybody. Well, it's not that good. It's not that good. Who's going to measure your goodness? Well, really, it depends on the person whether they think they're good or not. And it's all this subjective thinking like we talked about last week. And it's had this very real and consolidated purpose of putting the view out there that there's no such thing as verifiable testimonial truth that can be believed. And it's really injured people. That, and that's got to be of the evil one. If nothing is true and everything is subjective, then, then we can question God's word. That's the game. That's the game from the beginning. Right at the beginning, that's what the devil did with Eve. Did God really say? And she was like, oh, you know what? Now I think about it, I don't really remember him saying that. And it confused her, and she got off track. So anyhow, Romans 1, 18 talks about men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They play with the truth. They manipulate the truth because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Verse 25 says, these same men exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. So for Christians, I, I think this is a more common problem now because I don't think we're careful enough what we allow into our, our, into our mind. If we allow everything from the world into our mind, everything of the world's you know, music, culture, thinking, style, etc., into our mind and our body, and then we try to filter it through God's Word with an hour or two of God's Word a week in Sunday, or, or maybe we study a little bit on our own, or maybe we pray once in a while. We don't have enough of God's Word hidden in our heart that we might not sin against Him. We don't have enough to overcome 168 hours a week. That's how many is in a week. If you don't know, you can go check. 168 hours a week. And you're going to put two hours a week at most into God's Word, and you're going to have to filter out 166 hours of filth. You're going to really struggle. Who am I? Who is God? What does God say? Is it true? Am I being lied to? Is God's Word even true? Can it really be verified? If you've spent 166 hours a week in God's Word, you're not going to have a problem with assurance of salvation, I promise you. If you just spent half that time, whatever 166 is cut in half, if you just put half that time in there, you wouldn't struggle with assurance of salvation. If you put eight hours in there, you won't struggle with assurance of salvation. When you take your kids to school, 
and you drop them off there in eight hours a day, they're indoctrinated by whatever the world teaches them, including their other students. Then you come home and you don't spend at least two hours overriding that terrible programming they've heard for the last eight hours. Guess what? Don't be surprised down the road if they fall away. They only know what they've been told by people that you, they assume you trust because you sent them there to be under their control. What do you think is going to happen? We have to overcome that like Peter did by reminding, reminding, ensuring to remind. That's what we got to do. And for you, who are you listening to? Are you listening to the shepherd's voice? I really love that song. It's a kid's song. Do you hear the shepherd's voice? Are you seeking to hear from him? If you're wandering around lost in the wilderness, then you're going to have trouble perceiving what's true. If you're spending more time on Facebook than, you're in, than you are in the Word of God, you're going to really struggle. You're going to really struggle. If you're going to listen to politics all day, you're going to really struggle. It's going to cause confusion of mind because you've got the wrong filter process going on. If you fill your ears and eyes with the things of YouTube or Instagram or all these things, you're going to really struggle to discern truth from lies. You've got to do something to fill your mind with the goodness of God, and that's through his word, in prayer, in, in reading, in listening to good preaching that's, that's Bible-based, and you're going to be okay. That's just how it is. If not, you're going to do just like it said in Romans. You're going to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Terrible. Terrible. And it says that they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. That's what you got right now with your uh, uh, global warming, global cooling, whatever they want to call it, the animals have a higher priority than men do and animals have a greater importance than people do and uh, the abortion things, that's what's happened. They're, they're looking, people are looking at the things that have been created by God for his glory and they're putting them on a higher pedestal, the things, than God himself. And it causes terrible confusion. That's why he kept saying that you may know and be established in this present truth. You can know. How am I going to know the present truth if I don't spend any time digging it out and looking at it? Remember, even Pilate said, you don't think about Pilate. I mean, he should have known. He said, what is truth? Jesus said, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What, what is truth? Come on, man, you're the prez. You don't know what the truth is? You just believe anything anybody tells you? John 18, this is... Well, I'm pretty sure it's in this Bible. I just can't find it. Here we go. John 18. Pilate speaking, therefore to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. I bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate says, what is truth? Even in that, he can't find any fault in Christ. But what's so important is what Jesus says, I bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you're not following Christ closely, you'll have trouble hearing his voice. If you're listening for his voice, if you're studying his word, if you're praying in the, to the Father in the name of Jesus and asking in those supplications like we read in Psalm 28 this morning, if you're doing those, you'll begin to hear his voice. 
You'll begin to discern what is truth. What is truth? Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the truth. If we follow him, we can find the truth. Have you heard the voice of the good shepherd? Could you recognize it if you heard it? Have you responded to it? If you have, then stop questioning those things that are hindering your spirit. Stop filling your mind with the things of the world and you're, you're going to be so much greater at peace than you ever were before. Start serving other believers. Remember what it said there, 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you may also have fellowship with us and with the Father and with his Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Thank you, Jesus, or thank you, Peter, for reminding us of these things. The things that Peter, the things that John saw and heard, they testified to us as truth, and we can believe it. They were there. They saw it. We can believe it. If you're struggling with the assurance thing, if you're struggling with who Jesus is, not what the world says Jesus is, but what God's Word says He is, He says He's the truth, that He bears witness of the truth. He says that he's the truth that can be followed into eternal life. If we believe that, you're going to be fine. I assure you in your assurance issues that you're going to be fine. On that day, when you pass from death into life, truly, you're going to be okay. This morning, Lord, we, we come before you and we offer you this, this message, and I pray that the words that were spoken is the word that you had for us, that it sinks down into our heart and it it moves us to study your word that we be convicted in spirit and we ask you to, to take the word and to mull it around in us and that it would come back out of us as we tell others about the hope that we have, the fact that, that you saved us, that you came to provide a means of salvation to anyone who would believe. Father, for these that are here, that they've heard the word, Lord, I pray that they receive the word and go away glad, that they're willing to tell another even to the point of their own death, even to the point of their own shame or ridicule by others, Lord, that they would testify of the truth, which is Jesus came and died, lived a sinless life, died on the cross on our behalf, that the sins of all men uh, we could be cleansed from. That he didn't stay dead, but he rose again the third day, and that he sits today at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, Lord. I pray that we know this today, that we're just solid in our, in our heart that we believe this, and that we act in belief and faith as we go about our daily duties and living our lives, that we would use those things for your glory, Lord, to reach others with the gospel. I pray for all those that heard the gospel, Lord, at the, at the ministry there yesterday, that it, would, that it would be simmering in there, Lord, that they'd be convicted in spirit to come to church, to go hear your word, to listen to good preaching, to serve others more highly than themselves, to be at peace with all men as much as is possible with them, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to us and your long-suffering towards us, Lord. I pray for these that are here this morning, if there be one, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would seek your face while you can still be found. Thank you again, Lord, for all your blessings towards us. Go with us this week. Make our path straight. Direct our words and our minds and our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.